leadership is influence. And, you know, influencing the behavior of others, it requires three things in a particular order. But, you know, so many leaders get it backwards. And, you know, myself included in the past, it's like we start with vision. Here's where we're going. And then they walk away and just expect people to co-create that. Like, okay, yeah, you might get some buy-in, but it's much more powerful if you start at the beginning, which is trust. And, you know, like if I trust you, that's great because I feel safe around you. And the first question most people are asking of the leader internally is, hey, do you like me? You know, like that's the question. Like if I feel like the leader doesn't like me, I don't feel safe. Hmm. Right. And so that's trust. And the second part of the equation is connection. You know, like, am I connected to you? Are we connected to the vision? Like, is what's important to me important to you? And it's that question that we ask after, do you like me? Right. It's like, hey, can you help me get what I want? You know, is what's important to me important to you? And that's beautiful. When you have, you know, trust, you know, built on deep connection, that's when people will happily co-create your vision. And it's so crucial to you as a leader that you understand this. Unless people on your team are growing as individuals and you guys are growing together as a team, like you're not going to get the level of performance that you could. In today's episode, I speak with transformational business coach, Kevin Keppel, who's also a top-ranked podcast host, leadership expert, author, and certified strengths and executive coach. Now, Kevin teaches successful leaders how to align with their genius so that they can truly create massive impact and build strong, cohesive cultures. Most business owners and entrepreneurs are secretly sick of hustling. And if you are too, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast with me, Mickey Anderson, where we're revolutionizing success because you should have it all. Business success, lasting wealth, freedom, and fulfillment. Join me on this quest to uncover the keys to defining and achieving success on our terms so we can all hustle less and profit more. How I'd love to get started is to learn more about you and how you have turned into this transformational business coach, where you started and, and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, it all started years ago. You know, we've all had leaders in our lives, coaches, parents, friends, and, you know, unfortunately, everybody's not crushing it in their leadership role. But you know what, we get a lot of contrast of what we don't want. So if nothing else, we can be grateful for that. And, you know, I like my whole life, as I look back, I've been really coaching people, my friends, um, unwanted coaching in a lot of cases, my friends, relationships, whatever. I just, I'm so fascinated by what the next level of people looks like and not like, you know, an incremental next level. Like, Hey, like if you massively leaped towards your version of success, like what version of you would that look like? And that's always been really interesting to me. And I've always been fascinated with people who are just like, so far beyond excellence that they're, you know, exceptional and elite at what they do. You know, whether it's, you know, sports or a speaker or a teacher, it doesn't matter to somebody that's just phenomenal at their craft. And, you know, the way that you get there is by doing something you're really passionate about and you have talent at that serves a massive purpose. Like, you know, that's how we figure all that out. But, you know, going back to me, when I graduated college, you know, I got the job that I was going to work at forever, right? And I was going to make a million dollars probably in a couple of months. And, you know, it was all going to be good and amazing and all that stuff. And, you know, obviously that said tongue in cheek, but kind of serious at the same time. And, you know, I had uh, a, lot, a lot of success, but I wasn't really that excited about anything. And, you know, like there wasn't a lot of purpose behind what I was doing. I was just trying to make money. And I thought that's what you did. You just like make a big pile of money, right? And then you're good. 
and I, I was like in sales. And so I was like winning trips and I was getting to do all that. And I got promoted as the director of sales. And I just kept finding myself not really caring. And on Sunday nights, I didn't want to go to sleep because I knew I had to get up on Monday, go to the thing I was kind of into. And, you know, I thought that was it because I had so many models of that in my life of people who were doing things that, you know, they were good at, but not really a lot of passion behind. And fortunately I was, had a business coach at the time and he's like, you know, tell me what you love about your job. I was like, well, I love this. I love that. I love this. I love it all. And he's like, dude, I don't even think you like your job. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, man, whenever you started talking about it, your body language changed. It's almost like you hid underneath the table because you know, you weren't telling yourself the truth. You weren't telling me the truth. And I'm like, okay, well, there's some things that could be better, you know? And really what we figured out was I, I really liked the mentoring and the coaching part where I helped the people that were coming up behind me or just, you know, helping the people that my clients, because we were helping them transform as well. And so, you know, he's like, you should, my coach said, you should be a coach. And, you know, the ego kicked in was like, well, I don't want to struggle, right? I'll have to struggle as a coach because there's that limiting belief. And, you know, long story short, I took his advice and, uh, uh, this is about, gosh, like seven years ago and I switched over to, you know, coaching and I'm so grateful I did because, you know, I absolutely get to use my superpowers. I'm super passionate about helping other people be more without making them feel like less. And I get to do that every single day. And as a business owner, I get to choose who I do it with. And it's so fantastic to, you know, see people giving themselves permission over and over again to live their version of amazing. And so that's kind of what brought me from there to here. You know, uh, we talk a lot about leading other people a lot, and we see examples of leaders with big teams. And when we think leadership, that's typically what comes to mind. But, you know, as you were talking about your story, it really uh, spurred the thought of self-leadership, the concept of, of being a leader in our own lives and carving our own path instead of following along. And I, I love that you kind of almost got a little bit nudged or pushed into self-leadership before you you took the leap into leading others as well. Um, when you kind of reflect back on that transition from maybe manager into leading both yourself and others, were there any um, lessons or, or challenges that maybe you faced in that first little bit? <laughs> yeah, get comfortable. Um, there are quite a few challenges. Um, you know, like it's so wild when you get put into a leadership position, um, you know, it's generally not because you're a good leader. It's because you're a good performer. And, you know, just because you're good at, you know, making your widget doesn't mean you're good at, you know, leading other people. And the first, oh gosh, the first leadership role I had, my boss was um, erratic and abusive and he screamed profanities at us frequently. And that was my example of leadership was leading through intimidation and just aggression and I, I didn't want to lead that way, but, you know, I didn't really know how to get the people behind me to perform. And so I just modeled the behavior or I just, you know, exhibited the behavior that was modeled for me. And so I'm like, Hey, you guys got to do this. And like, or, you know, Chuck's going to come in and be mad at you. And I would like use him as like this, like leverage and like, obviously fear is not the way, you know, to do it. And I think one of the biggest mistakes I see people make in leadership position is, you know, they, they try to lead from position. Like, well, I'm the leader, so I'm going to tell you what to do and you should do it. And I don't have to tell you why, 
like, because I'm a leader, that's the why. Right. And like, if you're telling people what to do, you know, especially if it's a champion or, you know, some, somebody who's a top performer or whatever, that's, that's a one-time event when you tell them what to do, because you just broke trust and connection and they may do it, but they're never going to perform at the highest level. And because they're just reacting to whatever you're putting out there, because you're not making it safe for them to create. And so I think that's probably the biggest mistake is just telling people what to do. And also, you know, thinking that you have to solve all the problems for everyone as a leader is very, very dangerous because if you're solving all the problems, you have to solve all the problems and, you know, you can't be everywhere at once and nor do you want to be, you know, cause you're going to get really busy, but maybe not productive. And so really teaching people to solve their own problems. That's like one of the greatest gifts you can share as a leader. So if we're not leading from the position we're in, from our authority, from our role, what are the characteristics or maybe things, skills that make a great leader? Yeah. Number one thing is understanding who you be like, who am I? Like what's important to me and what do I want out of my leadership? Because if I don't know what I want, it makes it really hard to know if I do get it. And it makes it really hard to know what action I take to go get it. And so really being authentic to your truth and not trying to be everything to everyone. You know, I, I think it's so important that you get a deep fundamental understanding. Hey, here's what it looks like when I'm owning the gifts and the strengths that I have. And here's what it looks like when I completely sabotage myself with these gifts, because you know, the, the strengths that we have, they're very powerful, but power is indifferent. It just goes the way we direct it. You know, the car, a car is very powerful. It'll take you wherever you want to go, but it can also, you know, if you, shoot it off a bridge. It's going to take you like underwater into the river or whatever's down there. It's just power and it's just going the way you direct it. And so I think it's really crucial that you understand what does my natural power look like? And what does it look like when I'm you know, using it to serve other people at the highest level? And what does it look like when, you know, I'm giving all my power away and starting to force things. And I, I think that's such a intricate place to start, you know, like how do I know me? You know, one of the tools that I absolutely love that I've been using for years is the Clifton Strengths Assessment, formerly known as Strength Finders. And I love that because it's not necessarily like a complete portrait of your character. It's, hey, here's your natural talents, right? And, you know, paid attention to, here's what you can do better than anybody else. And here's what it's going to look like. Here's the patterns you see the world in. And, you know, I've seen thousands of reports at this juncture from Strength Finders, you know, through work with my clients. And you know what? Talent's not rare. It's always the same 34 talents listed on there. I've never seen a blank report. It's like, nope, sorry, you don't have any talent. Like, you're just a vanilla piece of paper. No, uh, there's always 34 talents, just a different order. But, you know, what's rare is people who develop those talents into strengths or superpowers and who can use those strengths on demand and who knows exactly what it looks like when, you know, they're like hero's code, if you will, is dialed in. You know, what does my ultimate version of amazing look like? And how can I create that, you know, whenever I want? And that's a really, really cool way to approach things because it also keeps you from doing things that maybe you don't want to be doing. You're not talented at doing. You know, I worked in finance and like I couldn't stand Excel. I was like, I feel like I should like Excel. I work in finance. But you know what? That's not my genius. So I... um was so grateful when I took this assessment because I'm like, you know what? Like I have permission to be me. And like one of my strengths is positivity. And a lot of the people I worked with were not very positive. And I'm like, well, maybe I should turn down this like excitement that I have. And then I realized that that's a massive strength to have a good attitude around, to have somebody who can help get started, to help keep things going. And so it's, you know, pretty, pretty uh, crucial to uh, us really executing any kind of high level to understand, you know, how do we, you know, get that elite performance out of ourselves? 
You know, one of my favorite books is uh, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. I'm not sure if you've read it, but you you mentioned Zone of Genius and that's what immediately triggered me because I love that book and I love that it it really forces you or basically challenges you to identify in your life what are the things that you are uniquely designed to do and then strengthen that instead of just trying to stack up all of your weaknesses. And it sounds like you're an advocate for leaders to really lean into their strengths. Um, and I'm curious for those of us, for those of us, not me, but maybe me, who have some really strong strengths or aptitudes, but also have some pretty gaping holes. <laughs> How can we either leverage our team or adapt to make sure that those weaknesses don't negatively impact our team? Yeah, that's a, another great question. Yeah, The Big Leap's such a great book. I actually just reread that last month. So um, it's at the top of mind. And man, The Big Leap or the, the what is the other one? The Genius Zone? Or something yeah, like Zone that. of Genius. Ah, oh, so good. Both of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, being really honest and transparent with yourself about who you be and what you bring and, you know, being honest with the people that you lead. Like, hey, you know what? Like, you know, for me, I'm phenomenal at getting things started and keeping things going and making them just extremely better along the way. But because of that, I'm not always good at executing or finishing because I'm starting something else or making something better along the way. And so that's one of the first things when I bring someone to my team, I'm like, Hey, I need you to hold me accountable to, you know, getting things done and support me. And so just bringing in people to support me in the things that, you know, like I frankly don't want to do. It's like, you know, like I don't need to be everything to everyone. And if I do, I'm going to be pandering to average because I'm going to be playing in the middle a lot. And you know what? I wasn't created to be average. I was created to be exceptional. In order for me to be exceptional, I have to treat myself above average. And, you know, like that's for all of us. It's not unique to me by any means, you know, but really empowering people to do what they're great at too, because there's actually people who love Excel and, you know, God bless you, you know, like my bookkeeper I was working with yesterday. Oh my gosh. Shout out to Afrim. Like he's going through stuff and he's like, did you get all that? I was like, man, I think I fell asleep in the middle, but I'm glad you're in charge of this, you know? And it's great because I don't, you know, get bogged down doing things I don't want to be doing. And so I just think, you know, transparency and really trusting yourself and the people you lead enough to be vulnerable about, you know, what you can do and what you don't want to do or can't do. Yeah, you know, uh, recently I was listening to some Brene Brown and I feel like <laughs> the word vulnerability immediately for most people, I think nowadays, immediately think Brene Brown when they think vulnerability. But I like that you mentioned that because I do think you you kind of have to be capable or put yourself in a position to be vulnerable in order to be a great leader. Because if you, the alternative feels like, okay, so I am constantly protected and almost faking, which isn't really serving anyone. When we think about leadership, there's a, a, a way that you phrase it, you call it transformational leadership. And I would love to know what transformational leadership is and maybe in comparison to what we might think leadership in general is. Sure. And man, this is such a, a crucial topic. I'm glad you asked that. You know, this could be with regards to leadership or coaching or mentoring or even, you know, self-coaching. It's like, there's really three levels that we kind of play on, if you will. And the first level of, you know, leadership or coaching is like, if somebody wants one specific area they want to fix, like maybe you have somebody on your team who's just not a good listener, like in every team meeting, they won't stop talking. 
And even when, you know, when it's not appropriate. And so you have these hour and a half meetings, it should be 45 minutes, but somebody really likes the sound of their voice and they're just not listening to anybody else. Okay. So you're probably going to work on, you know, like tactics with them. Like, Hey, maybe you should read this quote by Abraham Lincoln that uh, you should keep your mouth shut and let everybody think you're a fool instead of open your mouth and prove it, you know, or whatever the case may be. And, you know, I'm thinking of past Kevin, he could have used this advice in a time machine uh, from age 15 to 30 uh, and probably before, but um, you know, that tactic specific, that's kind of level one and that's good, but there's nothing wrong with that. But level two, a little bit more powerful level two is like, maybe you just need to be better at relationships in general. Maybe not only do you not listen, maybe you're, you're rude. Maybe you cut people off. Maybe you show up late or what, you know, when you're have a one-on-one or whatever it is. And so you really need a strategy to be better at relationships, not just one tactic. And so that's, you know, level two, which is great as well. And that level three of leadership, that transformative leadership, that's like where the real power comes in. This is when, you know, you create like a fundamental shift in the way that the people you lead see the world, you know, you transform their perspective and the way, the only way that you're ever going to transform somebody's perspective, not by telling them what you want them to see, but by helping them create an insight, right? An insight is a sight from within, right? Unless I see things fundamentally differently, the same behavior is going to continue. I might change it for a little while, but we're habitual creatures and I have decades of doing it this one way, possibly. I'm going back to that under stress, guaranteed. I'll probably go back to that anyways, because it's familiar. And that's just what we do because, you know, our minds are inherently lazy, right? It's like, what can I ignore? What do I already know how to do? What, you know, system pattern can I fit this into? But when you get me to fundamentally see the world different, like, you know, I was talking about taking strength finders back in the day. I fundamentally saw things differently. I'm like, I don't have to be good at everything. Oh my God, thank God. And you know what? This is what's wrong with my brother. You know, like whenever, you know, he and I built completely different. He's so talented at so many things that I'm not. And I used to feel bad about it. And I used to find myself doing things I didn't want to do because I didn't understand who I was. You know, like I used to go fishing with him all the time. I think I just fell asleep saying the word fishing. You know, I don't like fishing, but I didn't know, you know, like it's okay not to like things that he likes. And, you know, that also happens in the professional environment. Well, my boss likes this, so I should like this. And it's like, no, you know, transformative leadership is about helping people see what, you know, their most powerful version of amazing looks like. And the way you're going to do that really, you know, insight And your goal is always to inspire and empower, right? Because if I inspire you, I stimulate you to action, which is great because then I'm going to empower you, which is giving you the tools and the knowledge to like do something productive with that, you know, stimulation. So hopefully that answered your question, but feel free to unpack that if you want. Well, I'm curious if, if that is the key to taking your vision as a leader and getting your team to buy into it. Absolutely. And, you know, it's so crucial. You used that great word earlier, trust. And I think, you know, there's like, um, there's an influence equation and, you know, John Maxwell, a leadership expert guru, a hundred books later, uh, he you know says influence is leadership. Leadership is influence and, you know, influencing the behavior of others. It requires three things in a particular order, but you know, so many leaders get it backwards and, you know, myself included in the past, it's like, we start with vision. Here's where we're going. And then they walk away and just expect people to co-create that. Like, okay, yeah, you might get some buy-in, but it's much more powerful if you start at the beginning, which is trust. And, you know, like if I trust you, that's great because I feel safe around you. And the first question most people are asking of the leader internally is, hey, do you like me? You know, like that's the question. Like if I feel like the leader doesn't like me, I don't feel safe. Hmm. Right. And so that's trust. And the second part of the equation is connection. 
You know, like, am I connected to you? Are we connected to the vision? Like, is what's important to me important to you? And it's that question that we ask after, do you like me? Right. It's like, Hey, can you help me get what I want? You know, is what's important to me important to you? And that's beautiful. When you have, you know, trust, you know, built on deep connection, that's when people will happily co-create your vision. And it's so crucial to you as a leader that you understand this unless people on your team are growing as individuals and you guys are growing together as a team, like you're not going to get the level of performance that you could. And so it's so, you know, brilliant, that word vulnerable that you used. It's like, Hey, when you show them that, you know, Hey, I'm not perfect. I'm vulnerable. That builds trust. And, you know, asking questions, you know, and listening to the answers and taking actions that show people like, Hey, you matter. And you know, what you want is important. Like that leads to a really good, deep connection. And then, you know, like clearly sharing a vision in the simplest way possible, because simple ideas are remembered. Simple ideas are repeated. Mm, yeah. And co- complexity leads to confusion every single time. You want to talk to that? Yeah. I love that. You know, you mentioned something that really kind of caught my attention. It was about, um, do you like me? And that influence. And I think sometimes we as leaders assume that we have to be friends with our team in order to be influential or to get what we need done or even to be liked. And there's this kind of fear of not being friends with your employees, especially as a startup, right? Like I remember when I hired my first employee, I was terrified that if we weren't like really good friends, we weren't going to be able to work together. And it turns out that was not the case, but I'd, I'd love to know your take on how we can stop focusing so much on being friends with our employees or our team and become better leaders. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's the same thing that's going to solve so many problems for not just leaders, just people in the world in general, like people get sideways, you know, like, and you can, any place of fear, right? We're always motivated by one of two actions. Everything we've ever done in our life came from one of these two places, either love or fear. Like I guarantee it. If you reverse engineer any decision, action you've ever made, it came from one of those two places. Like fear can wear a lot of hats, right? Like guilt, anger, shame, remorse, pride, all of those, you know, just fear based. Right. And so like, you know, it's really important that we're starting from, you know, that place of love and not romantic love, of course, but you know what? Like, the golden rule, like treating other people the way we want to be treated, you know, with kindness and respect. And if I'm trying to create from fear, that's impossible because fear leads to compulsion and reaction. Mm -hmm. And generally the reactions are going to be, you know, fight, flight, freeze, or faint, you know, and none of those four are creation. And so I think it's really, really crucial that we're starting from, you know, the right destination or the right um, starting point. If we want to get to the desired destination and you know a negative mindset is never going to create a positive life it can't be said enough and so i just think making sure that you understand how to get yourself back to that place of neutrality so that you can actually create instead of react and be compulsive i think i got a little off topic on your question no it was great and uh and i feel like we're kind of leading in this great direction because I wanted to touch on confusion and complexity because I think a lot of us as leaders have the curse of knowledge. We assume that everyone understands everything we do or knows everything we do. And so when we come with a vision, we assume that they should get it, right? They should just know or should just understand. But that's not always the case. A lot of times either there's missing context or we're just not really good at communicating it. (laughs) So how can we as leaders simplify 
potentially a, a complex vision or, or a complex goal so that our team understands it and can buy in. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a phenomenal question because, you know, Leonardo da Vinci said it hundreds of years ago, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Mm. And, you know, in my experience, if you can't explain something simply, then you don't understand it. You know, like I cannot explain to you how to take apart and well, I could take it apart, but not put back together a lawnmower engine, right? Like I could take it apart, no problem, but you know, I don't understand it, nor do I need to. And so really understanding, you know, what you're trying to say before you're saying it, right? What's the intention behind this? And I think the goal is always like, Hey, you know, talk to her, like you're talking to a, almost like a third grader or a fourth grader. Not that people aren't intelligent, that they can't keep up, but the things that are really simple for you, that's where your superpowers generally lie. And just because it's simple for you doesn't mean it's going to be simple for other people. It's like, you know, one of my friends that I used to work with when I worked in finance, he was a former mechanical engineer and he was like the Excel wizard. Like it was amazing. He could do it without looking like even like, kind of like the, the best at Excel in the world. And I would watch him. He would try to explain things to me and show me formulas. And like, I would walk away every time I felt a little dumber. You know, I was like, it makes it look so easy, but it was so easy for him, the super complex thing. And so really, you know, doing what you suggested earlier is, you know, putting ourselves in that other person's shoes and looking at the world through their eyes, but not looking at the world through their eyes as us, mm-hmm. looking at the world through their eyes as them. And, you know, really as a leader, like, man, I can't hammer this home enough. Like the Clifton Shrinks assessment is so cool, not just for you, but for the people you lead, because you get a cheat sheet into the way that people see the world. Mm -hmm. And that's so phenomenal because then you can filter, you know, your thoughts or words that you're giving to them through that, but also what they're saying through that filter. And, you know, like the easy example one of my top strengths is called activator. And it means I need very little information to get started. I think better when I'm moving. And it's basically like, I just want to jump off the cliff. I'll build my wings on the way down. Right. I'll figure it out. And that's a you know Johnny Carson quote. Uh, but one of my brother's number one strengths is deliberative and deliberative means I need time to think if you rush me, the answer is no. And so there's not opposites, but they're basically opposites. And so my whole life, I'm like, come on, man, come on. He's like, hold on, you know, and it's not a better or a worse thing. It's just a difference in the way that we make decisions. But the reason he's so slow to act is he assesses all the risk before he starts so that when he executes, he's right at it. And he's so good at like, gosh, just figuring out the best way forward, whether it's, you know, buying something or, you know, making a deal or whatever. Like anytime I want to make a big purchase, I always ask him because I'm a dude and I'll buy the first one I see generally. Right. <laughs> but like I called him, you know, like two years ago, I'm like, Hey dude, I'm looking at this ghost mountain bike. It's like some new German bikes that are out. Like, I think I want to get one. And uh, I think they're awesome. I think they're awesome. Cause it's the first one I saw. And I'm like, you know anything about these? And he's like, I don't. So I let him go, which I know what he would do. He'll do all the research and he calls me the next day. He goes, all right, man, so about three hours on this. So um, there's a really good bike. And I'm like, perfect. Thank you. So it's my own little research department, but you know, he gets energy from that because that's his strengths. He's getting to exercise and use. And so you know, it's really understanding, you know, the, you know, the ways that people see the world and uh, you know, that everybody's not us is, is very, very crucial to really getting, you know, people clear on what we're seeing. You really highlighted the importance of getting to know your team and not just kind of who they are as people, what they like, like those are all important things, but I think also how they work and what motivates them. Because I know it through 
probably some more challenging than it needed to be experiences, but not everyone is motivated by the same things. Bonuses and money aren't going to push some people to take action and take on a project, whereas giving someone an opportunity for um, some continuing education or something else might motivate them. But, but we're all different. And I would love to know more on top of understanding the strengths and weaknesses of your team or maybe what they love and don't love, how can we start to get to know the motivations that help them or empower them to take action in their job and really own their job? Well, questions is always a great place to start. You know, asking people like, you know, what do you love to do? You know, what do you not like to do? And just helping yourself get more clarity on how accurately maybe they're seeing themselves because a lot of people, they don't know what motivates them mm -hmm. and, you know, really inside motivation, there's kind of those three pieces, you know, it's like drive, grit, and goals. And like fundamentally drive is, you know, those five curiosity, passion, purpose, autonomy, and mastery, right? Like when we get those stacked up, we're naturally driven. And so the first step is always curiosity. You know, that's the questions, right? Like, you know, like, what do you absolutely love about, you know, this, whatever it is we're doing? Cool. Okay. That's your curiosity and your passion, right? Okay. How can we mix generosity into that? You know, like, or how do you mix generosity into that? that's the purpose, right? How does your passion serve others? Yeah. And then autonomy, it's like, you know, like what kind of freedoms does this create in your life? Cause we all have the desire for freedom. And like, you know, like when we're using our strengths, we feel incredibly free because we're doing things that only we can do. And then mastery, it's like, we're continually, you know, evolving whatever that skill is. And so I think just really getting granular with it in that way is, is so ultimately powerful because even stuff that doesn't feel like it has any professional relevance, it has crossovers when you can kind of get granular like that and you can find new ways to do things that maybe haven't been done yet. And, you know, that's where post-it notes came from probably and Uber, you know, like it was like, I didn't know that it would work, but I didn't know it wouldn't work. You know, it's like, I never, ever thought people would bring me food that I've never met, right? Like some stranger in a car, but on my, you know, smartphone, which I hadn't, you said that all that to me 30 years ago, I would have no idea what you were saying to me. Right. But so just really getting clear on, um, you know, the small pieces that get people going, I suppose is one of the best ways to figure out, you know, internal motivations. I love that. I, I personally love the simplicity of it and, and the fact that it's all just driven by curiosity because you really can't go wrong if you just keep keep asking and coming to it with a curious uh, mindset. Um, now I'm going to be selfish here and ask you questions for myself uh, purposefully. One of the hardest things that I found in leading was goal setting, was not just setting goals for myself in the business, but also helping my staff and team set goals that were achievable, realistic, but also like exciting. Um, I would either miss the mark <laughs> completely and shoot way over thinking it's going to be inspiring, right? No, In intimidation. Or I would set it so low that they would think I had no confidence in them. So, <laughs> so as leaders, are there things that we can do to help ensure that when we're setting team goals or individual goals with our, with our team, that we're doing so in an appropriate way? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think goals are obviously important, but they can also be very dangerous because mm -hmm. goals are always in the future. And so it keeps us in kind of a seeking failure place because what happens when we achieve our goals, we set more goals, right? And so there's not a lot of celebration usually. 
Um, so goals are really good, of course, but I really need to have a process, you know, like, and I t- need to make sure that, you know, this process is creating things that people want to shoot at. And so one of the, the first thing I do, like with the folks that I work with, you know, whether it's one-on-one or, you know, people are coming into my mastermind or, you know, internally in a company or whatever, it's always this kind of what and why conversation. And I have like 18 like specific questions I take people through and I do the exact same questions every time because I want to see the different answers for the same question. Mm -hmm. And I've never walked away from that without someone getting dramatically more clear about what they want and why they want it. Right. Those are the two most important questions we have to ask answer no matter what we're doing. If I'm going to the grocery store or to church or building a business, what in the world do you want? Because if you don't know what you want, how in the world do you know if you get it? How do you know what action take to go get it? And, you know, I was reading about a study on the internet, so, you know, it had to be true, right? You can't put fictional information on there, but it, it talked about people who were lost or they, they had people in the woods and they had people in the desert and they set them off from point A and they didn't have a compass or a map and they didn't know where they were at. So they couldn't use landmarks. And they're like, Hey, go to point B. And every single time desert mountains, whatever people walked in circles and they went back to where they started. So left without clear direction, people go back to what's familiar, even if it's not what they want. And so, you know, really, really crucial as a leader, we help people, you know, create that clarity on what they do want and then what it's going to be like when they do get it. And then, Hey, okay. What do you think is stopping you from getting that? And just really, you know, walking people through that. It's almost like the, those little wooden Russian dolls, right? There's like, there's no way there's another one inside of there, but there's always another answer in there. And it's not that people, you know, are hiding from us. They just haven't gone that deep with themselves yet, or somebody hasn't done that with them. And it's so exciting when you can unlock that together because you, you literally see people lighting up and, you know, getting them like, sometimes it's like a new lease on life because they made this decision that life is circular. Every day is like the same pretty much, but just a little different, right? Like groundhog day with Bill Murray. Like, no life is a spiral, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's similar, but if we're evolving towards, you know, our version of amazing, then like, there's no time to get bored because you're going to be moving at such a fast speed, serving so many people doing what you came here to do. Like the whole point in all of this is growth and giving. The more we grow, the more we can give. Simple, but not always easy. Mm. Yes. Now I feel, so I feel a lot more comfortable now. <laughs> I know, all right. The, that visual that you gave of this spiral was so helpful to me because I have been in that place where I thought I was going around in circles, but there were, were small shifts. And if, I think had I leaned into those shifts a little bit more, I would have noticed the growth maybe sooner. And I'm curious because as, as new leaders, especially, there's a lot of nerves and fears and worries that come up, right? We're, we're a little bit scared. This is all new territory and we're afraid of failing first off, but also we're afraid of failing or failing others, right? We, we don't want other people to see us as failures, but we also don't want to fail. And in all of this driven by fear, I'm so curious because I have seen people or heard people say that where there's fear, you should lean in. And fear is where changes or fear is where greatness is. Are there fears that maybe new leaders have that they should start leaning into I think it's important to understand, yeah, where the fear is coming from, of course. And, you know, like asking yourself, you know, just simple questions about it not judging yourself or feeling the fear. Like everybody feels fear, you know, Navy SEALs feel fear before they go into battle. Like, you know, one of my friends was in the SEAL teams for 13 years. 
I was like, were you ever afraid? He's like, I was afraid every day, but you know what? It's like courage, right? It's action in spite of the fear. And, you know, like the, the big thing that I see over and over, especially for new leaders, but it's not just for you guys. It's like the imposter syndrome, right? Like there's been some sort of a mix up and I'm not supposed to be here. Right. Or the comparison game, that game, nobody ever wins. And you look at other people and you feel inferior or superior. And like, that's just such a massive disconnect. And, you know, that there's a lot of, you know, maybe perceived loneliness as a leader, because you, like you said, you can't talk to the people you lead always about everything that's going on. And there's not always another leader for you to go to. And that's why it's so crucial that you get around other, you know, powerful people that are doing big things, you know, because you can run with them, but they're not necessarily competitors. And if you want to grow as fast as you can, you have to have really three types of people. You got to have somebody to learn from. You need somebody that you can run with like that and somebody to teach. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's crucial that, you know, whether it's, you know, one-on-one coaching or in a group or a mentor that you find somebody that you trust and, you know, that resonates with you and you, you know, meet with them and allow them to help you see what you're not seeing because, you know, a really great coach is going to help you see really, you know, three things where you're wasting your energy where you're blocking your energy or just not even using it. And, you know, energy is, uh, you know, finite. We don't create energy. We don't destroy it. You know, we can transform it. We can enhance it by getting better rest, sleep, et cetera. But, you know, like, I mean, it's one of our most valuable resources. And so I want to use every single bit of the energy I have directed to a very fine point of whatever it is I'm looking to achieve. And so I think that, um, you know, it's uh, really critical that you don't, act like there are no fears right and sweep them under the rug like i'm teflon i'm awesome at everything because you know that's not relatable like nobody is fearless and so you know just being really 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 kind to yourself though while you're looking at your fears it's not about being right it's about being kind and when you when you come with grace like that you know it allows you to really you know gently unpack some things that may be holding you back wow i i love that and you, t- you spoke about kindness there for a second and it, it kind of brought up an experience that I want to chat about a little bit um, because I've, I've witnessed leaders who saw others with influence within the team who maybe played a leadership role but didn't have the position, but they did have a direct influence on the team and there was fear and potentially some competition between the two characters. And so I'm, I'm wondering if we as leaders can leverage those people or if there are things we can do to not feel competitive or be competitive with people who have influence within our team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, get over yourself. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, do that. Um, that was for past Kevin too, you know, like on going back to strength finders, my number six strengths competition, like I love to win. And when I was immature, I wouldn't do things that I didn't think I could win at. Like I didn't, I quit track. I remember in high school, like, yeah, I got baseball practice. Like, yeah, it was because I didn't think I could win every race. That's probably why I quit. And, you know, that's a very immature version of competition when it's all about me winning. But when you, you know, have a purpose, which is, you know, about others, right? With that generosity piece in your passion, it becomes about us winning. And, you know, I think this is where, you know, the opportunity for transformative leadership comes in really well. It's like, hey, you know, if you can shift the focus from internal to external, for one, you're going to quit getting sideways about stuff because you're not always worried about what's in it for me or what's not in it for me. And, you know, it's really, really uh, gratifying to help other people too. And if you have a competitive spirit like that, you're going to help other people with your drive because of the energy you're bringing. But if, you know, that energy is pointed back at yourself, it's chaotic. It's almost like shooting yourself 
with, you know, a gun because it's just like ricocheting around inside of you, all this like chaos and, you know, fear and anger. And, you know, like, then you feel bad and then you start trying to control people, situations, et cetera. And so just really shifting the focus to others, like, Hey, you know, like how do we win? What do they need? And that's a really, really uh, good place to live. Yeah. I love that shifting it to the, we, um, and it, it sparks an, another question because I was recently speaking to somebody about this and it, it was a leader who runs a team, um, who found that some people on the team thought they had unrealistic expectations of them, um, thought that they had set the bar too high. There was just too much demand. And obviously the employee was very nervous about speaking to this, to the leader and the leader didn't really know how to take it because they still thought that the expectations were realistic. So how can we as leaders know either whether or not it's true, my expectations of this person are unrealistic, or how do I get them to live up to those expectations? Yeah. you know, that, that word expectation is uh, really dangerous. I mm. feel like, because if I have an expectation of you, then I've given you one way to win. Right. Mm. And if you don't do what I expected, then you failed. And if you do what I expected, you're not going to win anyways, because that's what I expected. Right. And so I really want to have preferences, you know, cause that leaves room for creativity for people to explore. Cause you know, like a lot of times we don't have any feedback till we get in action. And then we get feedback. We're like, Whoa, that's not the way I want to go. But if I'm married to this expectation, then, well, I got to go this way anyways. And we waste a lot of time. And so it's like, you know, really making sure that you're both on the same page for starters with preferences, expectations, you know, whatever the word may be and, and making sure that, you know, it lines up with, you know, the vision you have of the company, the vision they have of the company, the vision, you know, they have for their role and the vision you have for their role. And it's, you know, it's not about, you know, making people do what you want, but, you know, often there's a, you know, just disagreement in what people are seeing. And so the, I think the best thing you can do, and there's any, you know, conflict, whether it's minor or major, the best place you can start is like, okay, what, what do we both agree on? What are we mm-hmm. both seeing the same? And then let's go backwards and see where we're getting the disconnect. And, you know, quite often, like you want the exact same thing, right? Like you want them to be successful. You want them to be successful for them and in their role. And that's you know what everybody wants. We want to be successful and we want to contribute. Um, it's not that, you know, we don't want to, maybe we just don't know how. And I've been in that place and my boss would scream at me. I'm like, well, that's not helping me understand better. I promise you. It's like terrifying me and shutting me down instead. And, you know, like, I'm sure that was the model he had, you know, banging his fist or whatever. And, you know, but it was so great when uh, I got a better mentor and she's like, all right, cool. Like, so what do you see? Let's start there. And I was like, and I, and I had my, my esteem was so low because I had just, you know, been told basically that, I, you know, didn't belong there, but you know, she showed me a better way. She's like, dude, not only do you belong here, but you belong here at a very high level. Mm-hmm. So let's get you there. But where do we need to start? Yeah. And, you know, that's how you hold that space of belief for people. And that's what really cool leaders do. They hold the space of belief until we can step into it ourselves. And, you know, all the great coaches, teachers, leaders, mentors that I've had, they're like, Hey, you're here, but I see you here. And you know what? Like, that's really cool because, you know, whatever gets recognized, that's generally what's going to get improved. I love that. And I can so see how that can help instill trust too, because not only do I now know that you like me, I know that you believe in me, that I'm capable of more and that you, you bought in, right? You're, you're here with me, beside me to help me get there. I love that. And you mentioned the word feedback. And again, I keep getting these flashbacks 
<laughs> either leaders or experiences. And I know many leaders avoid difficult conversations. They avoid giving feedback until they absolutely need to give it. And some of them don't even give positive feedback. It's just when it's absolutely necessary, I will tell them what's going on. So for those of us who are maybe beginners in this leadership journey, looking to start doing a better job of giving feedback, both good and bad, where can we start and how can we start to get better at this feedback loop? That is a great question. And, you know, myself included, when I was a young leader, I was hesitant to ask for leadership or feedback because I was afraid of what it would be, which was, you know, kind of a weird way to look at things because that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted them to tell me what I wasn't seeing. And so of course it starts with, you know, the, the trust, right? Because if I feel safe enough to be vulnerable and give you feedback, you know, that's probably the requirement, but I think, you know, there's different ways you can do it. Some people are going to be comfortable doing it straight to your face, but you know, that's not me. I'm like, Nope, you're great. And then I'm going to walk out. Right. But you know what? Like if you give me an opportunity to write about it, I'd probably give you some more intricate stuff. And so I think it's important to, you know, ask the question as pointed as you can towards what you're looking for, but also leaving room space for them to really answer it in their own way. And, you know, whatever the situation needs to be, whether it's, you know, one-on-one with you or with someone else. But I think, I mean, one of the CEOs I work with, you know, he's got about 250 employees and he's got 20 different, you know, on his leadership team from managers, directors, VPs, et cetera. And he's like, I want feedback from all of them, but I don't want to do it in one meeting because I feel like it'll be a cavalcade of like what I'm doing wrong. And I just like, it'll be a mess. I'm like, okay, well, what do you want to do? And so basically what he did is, you know, we, we sent an email to all the leaders and it was just really simple. It's like, Hey, what's one thing I currently do that you'd like me to do more of? What's one thing I currently do that you would like me to stop doing? And like, what can I do to make you more effective in your role? Hmm. And you get like a really good look at where people are at too, because you know, the email back for me is going to be fairly simple. You're going to get like two to three lines on each answer, right? Cause you know, simplicity is ultimate sophistication, but some people are going to give you Roman numerals and like bullet points and like flow charts. And so, you know, you're, you're not only going to get the feedback you're looking for, you're also going to get an insight into the way that people problem solve and process. So I think that's one really, really powerful way to do it. Mm, yeah. Instead of looking at it as a really like personal criticism or a personal attack, looking at it for all the additional stuff you can get from it about the other person too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, when it comes to us newbies <laughs> who are starting our leadership journey and maybe haven't made that first hire yet or haven't contracted anything out, but are looking to, aside from looking internally at ourselves to start identifying our strengths and understanding who we are and what we want more, what are some things we can do to start setting ourselves up for success as we build our team? Yeah, I think one of the really great things we can do is, you know, take care of the problems that we don't know exist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, it's not what we don't know that will really hurt us. It's what we, we don't know that, you know, or we think we know that just ain't so, you know, that's mm -hmm. what's really dangerous, right? Stuff we treat as fact, that's actually an opinion. And so that's why, you know, somebody needs to hire a person like you, right? A really powerful coach to help them see what better looks like and, you know, surround yourself with people that you want to be like, you know, that's why like I'm in a mastermind right now. I love masterminds. I'm, and, you know, my company, we're actually launching a mastermind the second week in July because I love hosting mastermind groups as much as I love being in them because I love seeing the collective transformations that happen in the group. And, you know, and whether it's the one I'm in or the one that I host, it's, it's always about just 
getting around other powerful people that can help you see what, you know, maybe you're not seeing, but it's so, oh my gosh, it's every single time it works in one of these groups, like literally everybody in the group goes so far beyond what their previous limits were because of the synergy of the group, because of one idea somebody shared or because they're just watching other people run. And so it's really cool because that also eliminates a lot of the loneliness that we have as leaders. And it's so nice to get into a safe space like that. That's completely unbiased. Well, actually the, there is a bias. The bias is like towards your ultimate success, right? That is the sole objective of the group is to help everybody get as much success as they desire, right? Like what a cool place to be. And so whether, you know, it's one-on-one or a mastermind or, you know, just somewhere you can go to get around people that, you know, you want to be like, right? Like we don't need to take advice from people we wouldn't trade places with necessarily, but, you know, people that we, we trust and have the level of, you know, expertise, experience, success, or whatever that we desire and really, you know, show up humbly because if you're not humble, you know, then you've got all the answers and that's a whole nother subject, but, uh, yeah, it reminds me a lot of my dad, to be honest. So my dad was CEO of a couple um, manufacturing enterprises in the U.S. And uh, he, we used to say, like, isn't it lonely at the top? And you'd always go, no, I have, you know, a group of amazing CEOs from across the country that I meet with on a regular basis. And, you know, we have very different conversations than I would with my employees or my team. Uh, and it's helped me achieve so much success. And I it never really clued in, but recently I've started um, a little group of other entrepreneurs who are kind of in adjacent industries to me um, who also have kind of similar leadership roles and getting together with them has been so powerful. Not only does it open me up and let me know that I belong at the table, but I, I, I love that you said it's biased towards your success because it's so true. Each of us is there for the sole purpose of helping ourselves and the others around uh, so when we're starting to build that table, that group of people, if we can't necessarily reach a mastermind at this point, but we're, we're, we're looking to get started, what are some of the key things we should be looking for when we're building this little network? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as you're bringing people into your circle or you're looking to join their circle, like, how do I feel when I'm with this person? Mm -hmm. Because that inner knowingness that we have is, you know, much more on point and powerful than our minds. Our, our minds are fear-based and it's looking for what's not there or it's looking to prove what it already knows is true. And the mind is very powerful, of course, but you know what? Like my legs are really powerful too, but I don't use them all day, right? Why do I need to use my mind all day? And so just how do I feel when I'm with this person? Do I feel good? Do I feel excited? Do I feel drained when I walk away from them? You know, I think that's like probably the most crucial thing because, you know, we live in a world of our feeling. If I feel good, usually like I feel safe and, you know, I perform at extremely higher levels when I feel good as opposed to when I feel bad. And if I don't feel safe, I'm not creating, I'm compulsively reacting to other people's probably reactions. And it's just not a productive place to be. And so, you know, I want to be very, very intentional about who and where I spend my time. Again, so simple, but so powerful. Yeah. Um, now, maybe off the cuff, <laughs> I'm curious to know what leaders absolutely need to learn how to do. What if, if they had to do one thing, what is the one thing that leaders need to learn how to do? Oh, gosh, man, that's such a <laughs> big question. I think that the most important thing probably is to learn to be kind as opposed to right. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, it's like, yeah, uh, you know, you might be right that I'm completely incompetent at this task or whatever, 
But if you come in telling me I'm completely incompetent at this task, then that's the decision that we both made and the judgment that we've made. And you know what? Like I'm going to probably unconsciously work to prove that judgment right. And so, you know, like I can be right with kindness though. It's like, hey, you know, like what do you think you could have done better or whatever the case may be? And just really, you know, using the sword of truth that we wield as leaders to point at the truth instead of chop people off at the legs with it. And, you know, like when you break trust like that, you know, chopping people with that sort of truth, like, you know, that, that is one of the quickest ways to give away your power. It's like, yeah, like, don't you think they want to do better? Like they would if they could. And so just being, you know, very intentional about being kind, like some of the most powerful people I've met are so kind. You know, I'm thinking of a woman specifically that I know and like, gosh, she's super high earner. I mean, multi multiples of seven figures a year and phenomenal like speaker. And just like people love this woman and she's probably one of the kindest people I've ever met. You know, I was talking to her backstage at this event. She was speaking at one time and it's like, Hey, how are you doing? She's like, Oh, I'm good. How are you doing? So I asked about my dog and my family and like, just, and, and they're like, Hey, okay, you're up. She's like, hold on, hold on. I'm listening to Kevin. I'm like, yes, yeah, just listen to Kevin, you know, like, but it was really kind and it was really powerful and she didn't have to do that. Like there was nothing in that for her, you know, except for just, you know, serving another human. So really cool. Kind as opposed to right. Yeah. And I think sometimes kindness can do something even more powerful, which is show someone that, that they're important. Right. When we, when we show kindness, it shows that that person is important to us. Yeah. Yeah. And that that everybody wants to feel important, like, Mm -hmm. because you know what, we're all the star of our own show. And every single person in this world, like, you know what, like there's consciousness behind their face, right? It's not an avatar, an artificial robot that's walking around. It's a person that has hopes and dreams and doubts and, you know, like gets scared, gets excited. And like, you know what, like if somebody's not showing up in the best possible way, well, hurt people, hurt people. Mm. And the last thing they need is you piling on top of that hurt with more hurt. And so, you know what, like one of the in addition to being kind as opposed to right, I think it's really important to remember too that, you know what, we don't have to have an opinion about everything. Mm. Like I don't have to have an opinion about everything you say. I don't need to have an opinion about every opinion you have. Right. Like, cause it's an opinion and you know what, like you could say something I totally don't agree with, but it doesn't change the fact that I love you as, you know, another human being. Right. And so like, and the cool thing is just because I love you doesn't even mean I have to like you. Right. Like that's why we have in-laws. So I'm just a joke. I love you guys. If y'all are listening. Um, oh, that was great. No, I, I, that's, it's so true. Cause again, it comes back to that. Like, I don't have to be friends with you to be a great teammate or to be a great leader with you or to get the best out of you. Um, now I would be remiss if I don't ask, because the whole point of this podcast is really to help business owners do less busyness and make more profit, right? Do more of their time, make more of their time, live a better life. Is it possible, because I've seen a lot of really bad examples, is it possible to be a great leader and have work-life balance? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, and I think work-life balance is a very misunderstood concept. It's not like I work 50% of the time and I play at the park 50% of the time or whatever. It's like, hey, are the, you know, the things that I do in my professional life lining up with the way I want to be in my personal life? You know, am I being the same person? You know, and I get into use the values I have personally for me professionally. 
And uh, to me, that's balance, right? When there's, you know, not a lot of crossover between who I am professionally and personally. Yeah, I might show up differently, right? I show up differently with my friends as opposed to like, you know, a meeting with, uh, you know, the board or whatever. But, you know, I'm still fundamentally the same person. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't have to, oh yeah, put on this mask. Like, no, it's like, you know what? Like I'm kind, you know, I come from a place of love and, you know, I'm here to serve and, you know, simple, but not always easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I feel like that's the theme of this episode is simple, but not easy. Um, Last question to kind of kick it off. And I love to ask this question uh, because for me, at least recently, it's been giving a lot of really unexpected answers and turns. So I'm excited to hear your response. Now, if you could give one piece of advice, one lesson, one thing to the audience now who are all these new business owners starting to build their team and grow, what would you tell them to do or what advice would you give? Well, a couple of things, take action before you're ready, always. But I think it's really important, you know, get clear on where you want to go, right? Hashtag duh, right? We didn't know what we want. (laughs) But, you know, once you have that clarity on where you want to go and, you know, what that's going to look like, start making decisions from that place. So if let's say that I want to do my first seven figure year. So I earned a million dollars as a business owner. How would I look at this situation? How would I solve this problem as that version of me? Mm. And when you can pull from that future place, you know, it's very, very powerful because, you know, like how would I feel about, you know, things in general if you know, when I'm in that place and, you know, that's how you really create from your place of power because, and if, if God painted it on your heart, this vision, it's not because you can't have it. It's because you could absolutely have it. You just haven't executed on some of the things you need to execute on. And so why wouldn't you just go ahead and make those decisions from that place now? Yeah, I love that. Embody that version of who you are and make decisions from there. Wow. Kevin, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time and all of this incredible insight. I am excited to, to step into my new role as a leader as well. Uh, where can the listeners find more about you and reach out? Uh, sure. Thanks for asking. And thanks for hosting me on this, you guys. And I would definitely check out uh, Mickey and what she does. She's a really, really brilliant and powerful person. And she's got a, man, a great heart too behind all that brilliance. So I would absolutely go and uh, leverage her services first and foremost. But if uh, after that, you'd like to see where I'm at, you can go to kevinkeppel.us. Um, check out some of the stuff we're doing, or you can uh, find me on Instagram, Kevin Keppel, or the Unlock Your Freedom podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Mickey. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for joining me in another episode of the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast. Thanks to our season one sponsor, Asteri Pursuit Marketing and Communications. You can find show notes and resources at hustlelessprofitmorepodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us where you get your podcasts. Join us again next time to uncover more of the keys to achieving success, wealth, fulfillment, and freedom. Thanks for listening.